Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 10, and I'm very excited to chat with our first guest out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Chris Connolly. Chris is the founder of Contrarian Investments, LLC, a Nevada-registered sports betting entity. Chris takes us inside Las Vegas and the life of a sports betting entity. He speaks about his staking plan, betting at the window, line moves, American sports, and what it is like to be one of a very small group to operate a betting entity. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback or potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Chris Connolly. Chris, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jake. Pleasure. So Chris, why don't you get us started by giving the listeners some background about you and and what led you to start a betting entity in Las Vegas? Sure. Yeah, so I mean, I've uh I have, you know, plenty of experience uh in the field despite only being 31 years old. Um kind of unique. I uh, grew up uh, my grandfather was uh, he's successful businessman, but um, you know uh, a punter as they call it in Australia as far as uh, wagering. So in the United States, it'd be equivalent to a square or a, just a public better. Uh, he didn't fare too well, but he did uh, teach me the basics of um, sports uh, sports betting and spreads in particular. Um, and so yeah, I. Uh, I can remember at an early age even being in elementary school and some of my classmates would say, you know, in fifth and sixth grade, some of my classmates would say, wow, do you see, you know, Michael Jordan last night for the Bulls um, scored whatever, 40 points. And I'd say, yeah, but the Bulls, they didn't cover the spread. And uh, my class, they'd say, what are you talking about? What is, what's the spread? And I already had grasped the concept and kind of understood uh, what spreads were at a very early age. Um, which is both good and bad. I mean, when you're young and you're watching a game and you don't even factor in, you know, who wins um, per se, it's more of who's covering. You're just looking at point spreads. Um, It kind of takes a little bit uh, out of the game, um, the enjoyment out of the game, you know, when you're you're a kid and you can't really be betting on your own. But... um, but I took that understanding and, uh, you know, myself, I um, was betting at an early age um, in college, uh, did fairly poorly, um, like most, you know, people do. But luckily, I was young and had, was betting smaller amounts at that time. So I learned some tough lessons at an early age. And uh, I, it really helped propel me um, down the road. So. I took some losses in college. Uh, on I was betting on the side and going to school, getting a, a degree in business, and um, yeah, you uh, used read some books, uh, most notably uh, Michael Kim's Computer Group, and from there used um, my friend's expertise, who was a computer programmer, getting his uh, master's in uh, computer engineering, and. 
he went on to uh, work at Qualcomm and uh, has since uh, started his own uh, business. Um, very intelligent guy. He helped write a, a computer program using some uh, inputs that I deem very valuable in sports betting. So um, from then, after graduating, um, I got some regular jobs. I, I um, worked at a law firm doing finance and then also worked as a project estimator for commercial construction projects. And the whole time I was uh, wagering on the side um, in Southern California illegally uh, using, you know, bookies and such and doing really well. But um, I built up, saved money and did well on sports betting and uh, decided to move out to Las Vegas after four years after graduating from college. And um, yeah, have been uh, doing very well sports betting um, from then on and uh, was noticed by a bigger syndicate betting group out in Vegas who I consulted for for a few years um, before starting uh, my fund. So even before the Senate bill of uh, uh, Senate Bill 443 passed allowing the creation of sports betting funds, I had already contacted the uh, um, SEC and was already kind of in my own process of registering a sports betting fund. Um, but since the law was, you know, on the table and into effect, I kind of pulled back on that and uh, joined and contacted uh, Quentin Singleton, who's pretty much the architect of the the law um, on this. And uh, and yeah, once the bill passed, uh, filed all my paperwork and uh, began the process of starting my uh, sports betting fund. So even before the fund started, I've been out here in Vegas betting professionally as my main source of income for um, four years prior to even starting the fund. So, so yeah, that's my uh, brief uh, history. So what was it like growing up in the United States with, I guess, the current situation as it is with you know Vegas being the epicenter of the gambling in the U.S. and essentially being illegal other than uh, some small pockets where there's, I think, three states where you can have sort of modified gambling nothing like vegas what where did you get all the information from other than you know family and friends was it something that was at all mainstream or was it just small pockets within the schools or universities where you could talk to people about the spreads and get some further info and have those in-depth discussions yeah so i mean the information's uh, out there um I mean, despite it being illegal, it's quote-unquote illegal, it's very widespread. Um, gambling's widespread throughout the United States. I think uh, in Nevada, uh, they do $5 billion in handle a year. And offshore, uh, American money that's wagered offshore is estimated at um, the numbers as high as, you know, 200, uh, right around $200 billion, right? So, um so Vegas, despite uh, Nevada, you know, despite being the kind of the hub, it's very. It only is a small fraction, holds a small fraction of the uh, um, overall gambling um, um, holdings, you know, for for the for the majority of the country. So it's it's very widespread. The information is definitely out there. Everyone's aware of the point spread. Even in uh, you know San Diego, the uh, newspaper. Um, despite it being illegal in San Diego, it would list the spreads of the games um, 
every day. And that's when I was uh, young, when I was in elementary school, that's where I got my spreads from, from the daily newspaper, despite it being illegal in, uh, in the area that I was at. So, so yeah. Did you ever think of getting involved in some mathematics or computer programming or other things to facilitate your, I guess, future in the betting? Or were you just focused on getting through university and the betting was a hobby and a side project until ultimately it became something you could make a living from professionally? Yeah, so I mean, I, I was just a average, in college, I was just a, an average uh, better. Um, you know, I wasn't sophisticated. I didn't have a, a computer uh, programs. I was, you know, I fell into a trap of a lot of common betters. Um, you know, money management wasn't very strong. Um, I was betting with emotion. I wasn't able to quantify my, my sides. Um, so these were all things, you know, that the majority of uh, the public, this is, this is how they bet. And so I quickly realized, though, I wouldn't be successful like this. So I, um, I have a business degree. I went to school for business. I um, did an internship at Morgan Stanley. I was really interested in uh, investing. That was my um, what I thought was going to be my profession. Um, but I, you know, I graduated during the uh, financial crash here in the United States. Um, my connection at Morgan Stanley that I was going to work for, he ended up uh, getting laid off himself, so I didn't have an in there. So. Um, yeah, so I went to work in uh, just uh, traditional fields, like I mentioned. Uh, I worked at a law firm doing finance and then um, uh, commercial um, uh, projects as an estimator. But um, yeah, I, I use the uh, services, like I mentioned, of my friend who's a highly skilled computer engineer. Um, and like I mentioned, went on to work at Qualcomm, uh, very high up over there. So he would he would be able to, you know, do far more than I'd ever be able to accomplish in the field, pulling my, putting together my own program. So he was able to do it for me, but with the inputs that I re requested. Yep. So, yep. so yeah. So are you a one man solo mission? Obviously you would have people helping you with different aspects, but from a making a living professionally, is it just you running the operation? Yeah, so as far as for the fund, um, the fund, it's me. Yes, I, I handle the majority of everything. I do have a designated uh, person, uh, um, an employee um, in Vegas full-time uh, that could also put in wagers on my behalf um, in case for whatever reason I you know, have to uh, take off or am at a you know, casino or something where I can't you know, access the app. He could uh, put in the plays. Um, we also have the services of a uh, solid um, accounting firm here in Vegas and also legal counsel. And then uh, we just uh, took on our first uh, group of interns this summer. And they're, let, I mean, a highly skilled group um, that are, you know, going to school Harvard, North Carolina, New Hampshire, and um and uh, yeah, Northeastern University. So, and they all have economics, finance degrees, and um, yeah, are on board. So, so that's the team. And then, obviously, one of the main components is obviously my uh, my friend, that's a computer engineer. Uh, we revisit the uh, computer program every off season to make adjustments. And um, one quick example was the other year, uh, college basketball shot clock was reduced from 34 seconds to 30 seconds. 
Um, we did not take that into account during the season, and our numbers were just slightly off the whole season. Uh, st statistically, the teams that were better were, you know, have the ball a little more during the game, have a few more possessions, and the weaker teams have the ball a few more possessions. So the stronger teams were kind of outperforming their metrics um, nightly, and that led us to take some losses uh, that year in college basketball. So that offseason, we were able to adjust um, our numbers and uh, our program and uh, fine-tune it for the following season. So we do make some slight adjustments in the offseason, but the core fundamentals of the uh, computer program are, are, are intact and stay intact season to season. So what are, the, some of the, what are some of the things that you needed to do to transition from a casual to a professional obviously there's the time element but are there any specific things that you did to become a professional because obviously there's going to be casual or recreational betters and punters out there who are listening who maybe they want to be professional one day maybe they just want to be a, a better casual better so do you have any tips or, or some of the things you did other than devoting time and discipline to your i guess entity yeah de definitely so so yeah, just to be clear, when I was uh, you know a punter, I mean I was young. I, w I was in college and I was betting you know a hundred, maybe two hundred dollars on a game, right? Small, um, small amounts, and you know I, I was losing like a, a lot of people would lose, and yeah, and so I went back to the drawing board um, and you know figured out figured out some things based off doing some reading. So I did some research on people that were successful in the industry. And I mentioned uh, Michael Kinsa computer group. So that's, uh, you know, based on that book, um, pretty much I came up with the solution. I needed to be able to quantify my sides because it was the sides where I felt, man, this is a great play. I know this side is going to win and I would risk maybe more money. It would lose uh, the majority of the time, right? So and I went back to the drawing board. I have to be able to quantify the sides. And to do that, you have to be able to um, have numbers backing it. So to do that, you know, I kind of read up on some of the people that were successful in the industry. And so um, implemented some of the strategies. And just a brief synopsis of my strategy. It's, uh, you know, we run a simulation of the two teams that are playing in a match. And we have an estimated point spread. And that's no different than what traditional, you know, betters do. Um, a lot of betters have the same software. The sports books have the same software. That's not really an edge. But we have other key factors, uh, one being, you know, referees play a role in uh, NBA and college basketball games. So certain refs are worth, you know, maybe a point to a point and a half to the uh, final spread. Um, also, we look for arbitrage, so when lines are inflated uh, based on public perception on a game, uh, we're able to identify those sides and buy back on the opposite sides. Um, so yeah, transitioning from a casual to a professional better, one of the main things is you have to be able to quantify your side. So you take the emotion, you take the, you know, your personal opinions out of the mix completely. Also, money management, able to identify, you know, what your risk sh should be. And I identified mine using the Kelly Criterion model. We use a half model of the Kelly Criterion. So based on, you know, um, 
a sample of historic results using that uh, win percentage versus estimated number of plays in the season, we have a, a risk uh, percentage of the bankroll that we flat bet on each play. So, and that's what I uh, have done since I started becoming successful at this. So those are the, those are the things that anyone could do. Um, anyone could be a smart money manager um, and obviously being able to stick to your numbers, taking the emotion out of it, because I could tell you right now, even with the fun, even being successful, um, very successful the past, you know, five years at this, there's games where I look at it and I say, and I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm saying, wow, I really don't want to be on the side. I really don't, you know, this is a tough play to make, but you just trust your numbers and you, and you go with it. And over the long run, it, it works out. So, so how long so, did it take for you to get to or land on the half Kelly uh, strategy that you do use? Because I've spoken to some professionals who use straight Kelly, some use modified Kelly, some have two bankrolls that they use and they have modified strategies for either bankroll, which includes uh, some portion of Kelly. Was it a, a, a long, drawn-out process, and did you need to learn uh, from trial and error, or did you just do a lot of research in the beginning and land on your half-Kelly strategy? Yeah, you, you know what? Yeah, uh, that that's I did a ton of research from the beginning, and, um, and I landed on a strategy and used 5.5%, uh, which seems rather high, but I am very selective with my wagers. That's another um, focal point of my wagering strategy. A, a lot of you know professionals, they're, they have a slight advantage on a bunch of plays, and they're firing away on each play and risking you know 1% to 2% uh, is uh, common. And what I'm doing is I'm not looking for slight advantages. I'm looking for pretty sizable advantages. And I'm patient, wait for those spots, and then I'm hitting those spots um, with with more risk. So, um, so yeah, no, I was able, I came up with a 5.5% from the very beginning and uh, utilized that. And then every off-season, I readjust my bankroll, and now I'm taking a new 5.5% off the adjusted bankroll going into the following season. So... So that's uh, that's been my strategy from uh, from day one of coming out to Vegas. And is that for every single bet across every single sport and bet type, or do you split that up per per sport or per you know under overs versus money line and things like that, or the spread? Yeah. So it, and that's another thing. It's it's a little tough to get down five and a half percent on say a college basketball game right are especially in over under and i don't do a lot of over under there's a few that meet my criteria and are, are plays but mostly it's uh, strictly sides and and point spreads no no money lines so so yeah it's uh sometimes we're not able to get down the full five and a half percent but the goal is to always get down five and a half percent and there are certain certain plays certain sides where um i mean the numbers just they match up you know, they just match up really nice. Everything sets up perfectly. And so on those, um, personally, I would put maybe a little more on those games, uh, you know, not overextending myself, but a little more. The fund, it never, we never risk more than five and a half percent per game. So, um, so yeah, but, 
But yeah, we stick to five and a half percent unless we can't. I mean, like I mentioned, there's some games where you could only maybe get down two uh, percent on a game, and that's um, and that's just the best we could do with without taking a worse number. And that's another thing uh, maybe we'll get into in a little bit is uh, you know pricing the market. Uh, I've priced the market here in Vegas for um, a little while now, and I mean I'm moving lines with my wagers so. The rest of the betting public is betting off of the lines that that I move essentially. So um, the books they're keen on this, and so when I hit a game, they're moving the lines a, a little quicker, and so I'm not able to get down the full five and a half percent personally uh, around town like I used to when I first came here. So what's your approach then to the bookmakers? Because as a registered betting entity in Las Vegas, that implies that you're I mean, it's you're implying that you're going to win long term. You're going to invest rather than gamble. Um, so, what is the advantage for those bookmakers to take your action if they know that they're going to lose money to you over time? It seems like a, I guess, a juxtaposition for them to say, "Yeah, we're going to accept bets from the smartest entities out there," and then also know that they're going to lose over time obviously there's the value in the information that you're providing based on your bets but is there any other way or any other regulations so that you can have a relationship with bookmakers to be able to get the volume down you want or are you just at the mercy of of the individual bookmaker yeah so that that's a great question and that's what i get a lot of that from sophisticated uh batters that's one of the main questions that they ask so yeah, so I do have limits in place. Uh, so currently, I'm partnered with uh, CG Technologies, who operates uh, eight uh, sports books here in Vegas. Um, they are one of, and that's formerly Cantor Fitzgerald. Uh, it's you know it's backed by a uh, financial institution, but uh, they pride themselves on being a sharp, quote unquote, sharper book. So they're we're going up against sharp quote-unquote, sharp, sharper lines compared to the rest of the industry here in Vegas. But uh, they do accept higher limits on their bets. So um, it's, a little give, it's a little give and take. I do have betting limits in place. I can't just go in and say, yeah, I'm going to make a million-dollar wager on, on this game. Um, I do have an agreement with them where they will never reduce my uh, limit. It could only go up. But... Um, at the same time, I do have those certain limits in place um, that I that I have to stick to. So one of the benefits for them is, especially with my betting philosophy. I mean, first let's uh, say the majority of uh, betters they don't win, right? They're they're going to lose. Um, my understanding is, while they are, you know there are going to be some sophisticated funds, like I mentioned, I consult for a syndicate group out here. Uh, they're very hesitant to you know, be involved in this whatsoever because they don't want to provide their name, their information to the bookmakers. It makes it easier for them to be tracked. Uh, they don't want any part of that. So a lot of the quote unquote syndicates, sharp bettors, they're not going to register. They are going to get some, you know, people in this space that, and I'm sure the bookmakers, you know, figure they the majority of the, uh, people that come on will lose over time, especially especially against sharper lines. So I do, uh, as I mentioned, I do have limits in place and uh, you know I'm regulated to those limits. And but what it does provide for the bookmaker is, you know, obviously I help set their lines for them and create sharper lines. I've moved 
their lines on a $2,000 bet. So uh, they see me hit a side and they adjust their line. And the rest of the market here in Vegas does usually follow CG technology because they are one of the more so, more sophisticated uh, book operators. Um, in, in addition to that, um, <clears throat> well, I mean, one of the uh, other, you know, a- advantages for the bookmaker, especially with my company, my betting philosophy is I align myself on the opposite of the public and the majority of the money coming in. So if they're taking a lot of action and they are moving a line, you know, in one direction, I'm usually on the opposite side. So for them, it's just helping balance their books in the end. So they're able to collect their VIG. So while I'm getting a a better line and helping shape their line, I'm also, in a sense, potentially, and in most situations, uh, evening out their action and their liability. So let's talk about that for a second, your bet-by-bet strategy. Are you looking to play both sides of a game necessarily um, because you know or you think you know that the line will move? Or are you waiting for in-game opportunities? Are you are you looking to hedge your bets in many cases? Or, or what percentage would you be looking to hedge? No, no, definitely not. Um, I, I don't hedge what pretty much whatsoever. The in-game uh, limits are very tight. Um, in the United States, we haven't adapted to uh, the rest of the world, Europe, and uh, you know uh, uh, Australia yet. So our in-game opportunity is very minimal. Uh, the lines are there, but the limits are just way too tight for it to be worth anything. So no, it's. Um, I'm not looking to hedge. Uh, we're looking for the right side at the right number. So um, we have a, a, a number in mind and we have a side in mind that, you know, once we get to that point, we're firing on a game. And once the line moves um, out of our range, you know, from that point on, we're, we're passing. So um, that while there is opportunities to hedge and bet both sides of a game, um, we're we're confident not only in in just the number but also the side that we're on. So, um, so yeah, we we take our we take our advantage and uh, and let it play out for itself. Uh, a perfect example would be um, this past NFL season. And if you know about NFL football, this was a Monday night contest. These are heavily bet games. Um, we hit the uh, New York Jets at plus uh, plus two points and. Um, the syndicate I consulted for, they also hit it slightly after us. Moving, the, we moved the line to one and a half. It got moved to one. Um, you know, various uh, talking heads went on different shows claiming, you know, sharp money's on the Jets. Um, public kind of flip flopped and uh, jumped on uh, our side, and the number closed at uh, um, the Jets favored by two points. So that's a four-point swing off of no injuries. Um, on a Monday night football contest where we had the best number, and um, and yeah, so we beat uh, we beat an NFL spread by by four points and es- essentially moved the whole market um, in the process. So that's just we could have gone back and bought off on the other side, but uh, but you know we were confident on that side at that number, and um, and yeah, and so so yeah, we we ride it out with the sides that we're confident in. 
Are you looking to develop your betting strategy at all to include some form of hedging once there is more opportunities and and in-game betting in Las Vegas develops a bit more because obviously four-point swings are valuable, especially when you're talking around the number three and around the number seven, uh, less so than than Pick'em or or other higher numbers, for example. But are you looking to, I guess, maximize your betting options and and how you approach uh, game-by-game betting, especially with NFL where the volume is so high? Definitely. So in-game betting provides the most opportunity uh, to be profitable, in my opinion. Um, I mean, personally, you know, there's I've had accounts that uh, have allowed in-game betting. And like I mentioned, the limits are limits are tight, but um, I kill those. I kill those and get shut down on those uh, on those accounts. It's uh, in-game betting provides a very solid opportunity. It's just about limits at, at this point and there right now there's just no opportunities with the current limits in place in las vegas i know like i mentioned europe they have some opportunities uh in game bang obviously um you guys as well in australia but uh we're, we're just not there yet so um yeah when the opportunity does present itself that's something we'll definitely be involved in and um, long-term strategy is we look to move outside the united states so um even particularly maybe partner up with uh, Pinnacle or uh, some of the um, bookmakers in uh, Southeast uh, Asia. So that that's a little down the road. But um, right now we're just trying to grow the fund organically, show that we could beat um, the odds makers, beat the closing number and produce profits for investors. And so that's our, uh, that's our current goal. But uh, to specifically answer your question, yes, um, in-game betting will provide the best opportunity um, you know, for us going forward. But as far as hedging our bets before game, before the game starts, that's not part of the betting philosophy. And uh, I, I don't envision us ever taking that stance. So take the listeners through some of the major advantages of having uh, an entity regulated and set up, because obviously you could do this yourself, uh, as you probably were doing to a large extent, without uh, those investors pulling their money. Is that a one of the major advantages and a big reason why you do do it, having that uh, regulated environment where investors can be comfortable? Or are there other things that make it much more worthwhile to be registered? Yeah. So, I mean, so I, like I mentioned previously, I've, uh, you know, I was into investing just in stocks before I've uh, done sports betting. That was, uh, you know, I was, I was investing in stocks when I was um, 13 year old. I own my first, you know, stock shares of a stock, a CNO corporation. So um, that was that was my passion. Um, to be honest, I've been able to produce returns on sports betting that far exceed um, the the traditional stock market, and not only just my own returns with a traditional stock market, but people that are invested in the stock market they that also have followed me because I. Um, before starting my fund, I posted all my uh, plays on various forums, and I've you know gained somewhat of a following um, here in the United States based on my my success. So people that were betting my plays, you know, say they you know they make more money doing that than they do in their uh, you know in their um, retirement savings or in what their uh, fund manager is doing for them. So. It just got me, you know, thinking. Obviously, I read Mark uh, Mark Cuban's blog on uh, sports betting. 
um, the, the advantages of that over traditional markets, and there, there are many. And, and yeah, so it just provides, I mean, I see this as being a huge industry. Like I mentioned, only $5 billion is wagered legally currently. Once sports betting becomes legal in the United States, there's another $200 billion that come offshore and are wagered here. Uh, legally, so that just increases the uh, liquidity in the market and makes things, uh, you know, better for all. And like I mentioned, the main goal is to produce returns for investors. So this allows, you know, me to be tracked. I'm monitored uh, by various agencies. The Nevada, uh, the Bank of Nevada, where all funds are held uh, for my company, it's uh, monitored by them. I'm monitored by uh, the Nevada Gaming Board. So I have eyes on my operations. I can't just claim, you know, anything I want to claim. Um, the money's tracked. And, uh, and pretty much what I'm doing is just showcasing my ability right now until the market becomes a little more liquid and, you know, uh, the fund could really take on larger assets under management. And I could, and I could challenge traditional um, in uh, traditional investment options, traditional s stocks, bonds, ETFs. Uh, I really do believe I could far outperform those um, with sports betting. I, I feel it's a great opportunity. So take us into some of those numbers then because I think people in the investing world or those who are interested in that would understand probably from a granular level what they get from their bank interest, which is almost zero, and then They've probably read what some of the uh, maybe the Bernie Madoff investment numbers have been in the investing world. Obviously, the sports betting and the entity world is very different, and the returns um, obviously they fall in line somewhat with that. But do you want to just take us through since you've been tracking how the numbers have played out and, and what your projections are looking like? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, his, uh, historically, I've uh, hit right just over fifty-five percent on minus one ten odds. Um, that's uh, documented by a third party. And uh, so, yeah, I've averaged, you know, over um, just over 40 percent uh, returns uh, year over year prior to starting the fund. Um, with the fund, uh, year to date, we're up 12.6 uh, percent. Um, overall, though, we are just uh, up over just under 1 percent at 0.5 percent. We suffered uh, some pretty heavy outflows in uh, December and January, and that's uh, documented in our uh, prospectus. Um, you know, I, I'm upfront about all losses. I own all, all losses. I don't try to uh, um, cover anything up. But uh, to be honest, uh, I would compare it to the uh, recession in 2008 with uh, sports betting. Um, like I mentioned, we align ourselves in line with the sports books on most plays, whereas uh, – the public is betting on one side. We're buying off on the other side um, against those inflated lines. And um, William Hill issued a uh, profit warning to their shareholders um, in December, based uh, basing off uh, punters having you know an amazing run uh, essentially um, for for that month. And that's the same month we suffered our, our worst losses. Um, sportsbooks also came out and said January NFL was the worst ever. They uh, suffered their biggest losses ever recorded on uh, NFL games in the month of January. We were on those same NFL games and we suffered losses uh, along those lines as well. 
but still managed to um, overcome that. And like I mentioned, are currently year to date up at 12.6%. So uh, to put that in perspective, despite suffering, you know, some major setbacks in the months of December and January, um, we're profitable in the months leading up to that and, uh, and uh, since that. And uh, the long term, you know, there's no guarantees in, in investing, um, but the long term forecast is that it'll fall in line with uh, historical averages and, you know, will be along the lines of just over 40 percent returns uh, year over year. That's our that's our goal. So take us through what it's like to speak to investors, because obviously in the U.S. specifically, there's obviously different stigmas attached to gambling and in sports betting, given the regulatory and, and legislative environment. What do you have to do to not only convince, but sort of calm these people's nerves when it comes to investing in a, in a registered and tracked sports betting entity? True. So th- those are great points. And that's been my biggest uh, obstacle. Um, so I don't seek out investors. Uh, my initial investors were all people that followed me and my success to start before I started the fund. So all the people that got in initially, they already had seen, you know, how well I'd done and they wanted to be a part of it. So that that was easy. They they came to me. Um, I've been in various publications, the Wall Street Journal, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Las Vegas Business Press, Inc., um, you know, various, various others that have, you know, um, documented um, my success and my fund and so people have read that and they've reached out but yeah it's uh it, it's tough because they're definitely in the United States there's a negative stigma on uh, sports betting um, when really people don't realize that you know the money that they're giving to their uh, mutual fund manager that guy's gambling with your money uh, equally or more than than we are uh, the difference I mean there's few differences and I'll just touch on touch on them briefly right here maybe we could get into but uh you know uh, some of the major differences between you know my fund and a traditional investment is um you know we're not correlated to the, the market so when the market tanks our interest rates rise there's zero correlation we're extremely diversified um in that sense so in another sense we don't take a management fee. So I'm not getting paid if my investors don't get paid. Um, whereas a traditional fund, they're going to take a, uh, they call it like a 220 or 330, where they're either, they're going to take 2% of your, um, of the holding for themselves for operational costs. And then they're going to take 20% of profits or 330. And uh, we have, I, I front all overhead. I'm that confident I'm able to produce uh, returns for my investors that all overhead is uh, fronted. Um, I'm only taking prof- I'm only taking a fee on the on the returns. So, so yeah, that's um, you know some of the differences. And then one of the other things that is really tough uh, that I didn't that I didn't anticipate was um, my investors with my investment strategy. I mentioned you know we are going against inflated lines and lines get inflated because people see, you know, the NFL, the Patriots cover week after week. They're a dynasty. They're a great team. They win every week. And the books suggest they inflate the lines and the public still comes and they pound 
uh, that side and the line gets bet up even higher. And we have no choice. We have to go with our numbers. Our numbers indicate that uh, they're highly, you know, the number's highly inflated. We're going against the Patriots. And then um, all my investors are notified of these sides as soon as the game goes off. So they're able to watch it for themselves. And they'll say, what are we doing? Like, why are we going against the Patriots? Or why are we on the Browns? And there's a lot of, uh, you know, feedback from investors where they probably wouldn't question their financial advisor saying we're betting we're going to invest in Apple, right? Um, they're just go with the flow despite Apple having a great, you know, quarter, but still losing money because they didn't meet projections. Uh, you know, a lot of investors do question the, the sides because it's, we're not betting the sexiest sides, but uh, in the long run, those are the sides that are are the most profitable and um, and yeah that I spend a lot of time trying to explain that to investors and maybe too much time this past year and uh, this next year you know we'll just let the numbers speak for themselves and uh, try to do less um, explaining of, of the strategy it is certainly an interesting component and I guess that insight is fascinating because it is a similar outcome when you're speaking purely numbers-wise, and that's certainly the goal, but when it comes to the passion and the subjective nature of people following their team, I guess they just can't help themselves, right? Exactly, and uh, and, and, I under, and I understand because I used to be like that. I used to look at games and say, there's no way the Patriots you know, don't cover a six-point spread. And, 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 uh, but that line gets bet from six to seven to seven and a half. We have a clear advantage. Um, we have to play the numbers, but it is hard to uh, explain that um, to, to some people, especially when it when the game doesn't come through. Like I mentioned, December was a bad month. Uh, NFL um, in January did not go well, and the favorites won and covered. Um, for example, in the Wall Street Journal, we were featured, and uh, they mentioned, you know, we're invested in the Falcons plus three points. Uh, you know, they're up 28 to three late in the game and they end up going to overtime and losing and not covering the spread. Um, it's the right side the whole way, just the wrong result. But, uh, you know, people have a tough time when you're going against the uh, most popular teams. But uh, like I said, uh, at the end of the day, the numbers uh, prove um, our strategy is the, the right strategy and uh, the right way to go. But um, some casual people that don't understand this market um, might disagree initially. Yep. So I've always heard some crazy stories from Vegas in many respects, but one that I always found interesting was that very only very recently has use of apps become widespread and people would talk about going to the window as if that was the only way to get down a bet. But it seems like that was the only way to get down a bet. Obviously, growing up in Australia and being in different jurisdictions, I've seen the the ways you can get bets down, and it sounds like Vegas has been uh, pretty archaic in that sense. Do you want to just take us through from your early experiences in Vegas to now? What's changed in the ability to get a bet down? Yeah, so that's uh, that that's very interesting. So yeah, um, when I first came out, to one of the main things was. Uh, like I mentioned, I consulted for a syndicate, and one of the things they told me was stay away from from the apps uh, because, it, for one, it allows the books to easily track your action, right? And so if you're a long-term winner, successful, uh, they limit you or even uh, cut, cut you off. Um, 
So, but anyways, when I first uh, came out, yeah, the apps were not a thing. You have to, you have to go to the window and place your, uh, and place your bets. Um, so that, and a funny thing is a few of my, you know, potential investors or investors that they want to know, well, what happens if you're going to make a bet for the fund and you get robbed at the sports book, right? Um, so everything that's done with the fund, it's all done electronically. It's all done through an app. The money never comes out of the bank uh, whatsoever. So yeah, people do still have that kind of mentality that you have to go to the window to, to make a bet. But um, it, it's coming along uh, slightly. Um, you know, now, like I mentioned, we're, we make our trades with the fund through apps. I still go to the window um, to make bets. Um, for myself, just because, like I mentioned, I try to stay under certain limits and uh, keep my name off of anything uh, that, you know, would register me um, as maybe a successful player or whatnot. So, so yeah, that's, that's some of the things that, that I do. But, uh, yeah, it's still, it's still a work in progress. There's still some sports books that don't have uh, apps available, and you do have to go to the window to, to make your bets and look at the board um, that they have up. Uh, to, to check your numbers. So it is kind of kind of crazy. We're not that developed in that sense. I think some people would be falling off their chair just listening to that. The Looking up at the board and walking to a human being and actually having to yeah. speak to a human being would be something that was back in the 90s. But anyway. And I'll tell you real quick, I just the worst part about that is especially busier weekends when maybe you, know, you have 10,000, 20,000 cash and you literally are looking at the board while some person in front of you is trying to put a parlay card down for, you know, $10, $20, and you watch the number move as you're like the second person in line against you. You know what I mean? It's just uh, brutal. like, it, it's just absolutely brutal. So yeah, it's, uh, it's still, we're still pretty archaic in that sense of, um, uh, of having apps and uh, uh, technology here in Vegas. So can you take us through, I guess, very briefly or touch on some of the main things that you go through on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis. Are you watching all the games? Are you tinkering with your computer systems and algorithms? Are you running around Vegas meeting people, meeting investors, talking to a lot of people, and the computer system does a lot of the work? Can you just touch on a few of the things that you're doing on a on a constant basis? Yeah. So, I mean, before I started the fund, obvious, the main thing I was doing was, uh, you know, inputting the numbers for the computer program, uh, monitoring the... Um, the market, looking for the best opportunities and going placing my bets, and that was and that was uh, the extent of it. And I do spend a lot of time monitoring uh, the market, you know, seeing where the lines open. I know uh, Sunday night, you know, lines open for NFL. Not till Wednesday do they firm up, where you could get down substantial amounts. Uh, Thursday, you have the injury reports come out, so I, I know. The days, the times, when you know to hit certain games, when to wait. Um, so that's stuff stuff I just learned uh, from being in the industry um, and, and just knowing, but um, and experiencing it. But yeah, now with the fund, I mean, I spend uh, a lot of time talking to uh, potential investors, current investors. I spend a good deal amount of time. Uh, I provide all my investors with monthly statements, individual, and also electronic transcript of all wagers so they could, you know, um, match it up for themselves. Um, I have to do, you know, a good amount of filing, um, you know, information with the bank, any money coming in and out has to be pre-approved. 
Um, so yeah, I'm doing a lot of that stuff, but my main focus is obviously uh, getting the right number on the right side. And uh, unfortunately, this past year it wasn't my best year. Um, at that, we still beat the market the, uh, or had the best number the majority of the time of the closing number. But, you know, I was sidetracked a little bit with dealing with investors and, and the fund um, just day-to-day -day operating uh, procedures. So uh, now we have, you know, some people in place to kind of alleviate that. And I could, you know, spend the majority of my time tracking the market, which is one of the things that I, one of my strong suits is, getting the best number um, in the market and having the right side in, in the market. So, so yeah, I, um, I do that. And then, no, we're not doing a lot of tinkering with uh, um, the, the computer program. That's set before the season starts, and we let it run, it, run its course uh, through, through the season. So um, any tinkering during season, is, uh, is, that's, a, that's a big no-no. Um, because historically it's it's worked for us so we make off-season adjustments like I mentioned and and those are minor but the main uh, inputs uh, stay the same and and those and those never change so and then also uh, on a note um, my investors currently we have 32 um, both foreign and domestic I've said I, I would say I've met about almost half of my investors uh, when they have come out to Vegas or even the off season when they've come to Southern California, I've met them face to face. So I do a fair amount of those as, as well. So, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, uh, don't spend a lot of time uh, visiting shows and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> I spend a lot of time, uh, unfortunately glued to the computer, watching, watching the market and, and, and the moves. Yeah, it's probably not as glamorous as some people would think or hope. Right. Uh, yeah, so a couple more questions because I yeah. have a few more before I let you go, and I really do appreciate incredibly valuable time of yours uh, chatting to me. So for all the casual players out there who are listening and who like to bet on sports and mm -hmm. maybe don't want to invest a lot of their time, can you, and I understand if you don't want to get too deep just because of the IP involved, but maybe sure. just one or two or even just a small thing that they could do on a week-to-week -week basis when looking at which teams to pick and what some of the factors they should be looking for. Because obviously you hear, you know, these days as people talk about yards per play differential and a few other things of, of the advanced statistics, but is there anything you could say to them that they should sort of keep in mind when having their $50 spread bet on the weekend? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're making this $50 spread bet, I mean, um, it's, majority of that i mean it's for entertainment let uh let's be honest so i mean yeah get get your uh, entertainment uh value out of it I, I guess um stay away from parlays stay away from uh you know teasers i'm not a big fan of uh, either of those that your odds uh are greatly diminished um one of the things uh that i stress and that i learned you know um studying finance is uh efficient market hypothesis. So whenever you're watching a show like at ESPN or you're reading your newspaper and, you know, they all have these uh, trends, right, where, oh, this team has, has covered their last four games on grass or this team has, you know, won or covered 10 consecutive day games or various trends like that. Remember, Every key point of information are, is already baked into the line. So just because you read that in your local newspaper or you see it on TV, 
uh, and then you run to your computer to make your bet, you don't have an advantage over the odds maker in those situations. You're just the, the those numbers already reflect all relevant information. So um, so yeah, don't think that you have an advantage uh, because you read some information or you've seen something on TV. That stuff, uh, you know, you need to do your own research and you know don't change your betting strategy or your um, model uh, too much based on you know recent outcomes. So if you lose two, say, oh, I don't want to do that. Let me switch to something. I mean, find something that you know makes sense and uh, works, and and stick with it and document it for a prolonged period of time and uh, see if it's something that's actually you know uh, provides you with an edge. And um, and yeah, don't take into account too much other people's opinions because, like I mentioned. Uh, fish and market hypothesis, uh, you know, bakes into average yards per play. That stuff's already baked into those lines. I appreciate the insight. One other thing I wanted to ask, and I'm curious about, what other outside resources are you looking into, if at all? Because people out there are always looking to consume or digest content. Do you rely on, you know, Ken Palm or Phil Steele or or any other publication subscriptions or even free content? <laughs> oh man! Oh, so that's a that's a funny thing. So Phil Steele, uh, I'm actually he blocked me on uh, on Twitter um, for me just uh, you know requesting his you know actual win win percentage. So he estimated uh, I think it was last year that his win percentage was like you know he is at 55 percent when really he was at like 54. Point two, he rounds it up to you know uh, fifty five. There's a big difference between fifty four and uh, fifty five. So um, so yeah, a lot of these uh, people that are providing content. There's some people that are that are good, and I think you um, interviewed um, one the other week. Who was it? Uh, Adam, I believe. Yes, Adam. Um, yeah, yeah. He he does provide some good content. I don't like I mentioned. I have my own uh, stuff you know, lined up, dialed in. Um, but I, I do notice he puts a good amount of effort into his. So, I, I mean, I could respect that. And it, and it does, you know, he mentions in-game betting and um, he does provide some edges in that. So that that's a solid um, advice for the casual players out there looking to uh, consume content. But, but no, uh, the majority of my content is uh, purely stats. I'm purely using uh, stats that are readily available to anyone um of previous games uh for our for our simulation and um yeah it, it just historic i i mean i can't give away too much with for the ip but uh yeah just uh like i mentioned refs that's that's one i'll just throw out there so refs with uh you know basketball um they have to have a certain sample size but if you know over the course of 200 games they've shown that the away team, you know, has performed substantially better against the spread, uh, that might be something to consider, you know. So just um, information that, you, I mean, you could readily gather from anything, uh, from from any, uh, you know, ESPN or um, um, anything like that. Uh, yeah, that, that's beneficial. And then watching the market is something, you know, I use uh, Don Best is one that that I use uh, to to monitor the market. So uh, that's all that's also key, and that that's probably one of the main things that 
I public information I use is um, uh, monitoring the market. Sports Insights is another one that's uh, fairly good at watching the market as well. So last question, and it's completely off topic and probably irrelevant, but some of your favorite sports gambling movies of all time. There's not a plethora out there, but there are a few. Do you have any that stick out, and do you get involved in any of those? You know what? Uh not not so much i mean uh, the one that comes to mind is uh rounders is um yeah a, a favorite it's not really sports betting it's uh dealing with more poker yeah but, matt damon right? um yeah yeah but i i would say the key line in that for me that just it just resonates with me and just sticks out is uh you know he, he mentions uh, what was it he mentioned something about you know is it luck that the same five players are at the final table every year in the World Series of Poker, or maybe they just have an advantage, right, over over the field? And I would say uh, th- that stuck with me because a lot of people, you know, especially in the United States, gambling, it's a stigma. Well, is it, you know, not a game of skill that I could – you know, beat the closing line consistently and produce a profit at this over the long term, um, you know, maybe that needs to be looked at because in the United States it's still a debate. Is it a gambling or is it a game of skill? And I would say, you know, just to the point of uh, that Matt Damon made in that movie, it must be a game of skill if I could have uh, documented over a thousand plays and hit over 55, uh, 55% winners. So, and not just me, there's a, a good amount of people that can a, as well. So I would say sports betting is definitely uh, a game of skill and, uh, you know, should, should be uh, legalized here in the United States, uh, hopefully soon. Chris, before I let you go, where can people reach out to you if they want to uh, follow your plays, see what you're up to and, and get some, uh, some insights from Vegas and from your business? Yeah, definitely. So uh, my fund, investment fund, it's, uh, um, you can find me on contrarianinvestments.net. Um, you can find me on Twitter at CCON8181. Uh, my my fund it's uh, we take foreign investors uh, ten thousand dollars is the investment minimum domestic it's a uh, five thousand and that's due to the, some regulatory constraints all my plays are put out um, after the games start not before they start we don't want to erode our value but after they start on Twitter so you could kind of see for those that do in game betting I know some of my followers they do they'll bet my sides in game um, and yeah. Uh, very numerous uh, publications have, you know, picked up on uh, what we're doing here. Um, and like I said, we ex- hope to expand um, overseas, you know, within the next year or so. So um, look out for us and, uh, and the various publications that will be uh, documenting our, uh, our move and our success coming up. Chris, many thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. All the best with the uh, upcoming seasons, and I hope to follow and track your success uh, as you grow. So thanks again, mate. Yeah, and you as well, Jake. Uh, like I mentioned, I've listened to a few of your other interviews, and um, and yeah, you, you do a great job, and you do have some very compelling guests, so hopefully I could add to that. Cheers. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, Jake. Thanks again, Jake.